All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer first, and we have a lot to unpack tonight. So we're going to have a good time. I'm going to try to go back over some things that we touched on some last week and then dive into a couple of, of concepts that we really didn't get to touch on in those that one sentence of four through uh, three through 14. And so we're going to look at that, and then I'm going to read out of a couple different translations just so you can get the the way the translators handled these verses from different perspectives. And so we can kind of get a very broad view of this and really come into a greater understanding of what was Paul saying, what was he talking to to the church there at Ephesus about, and vicariously to us you know, through this letter. And so we're going to, to dive into it and just ask the Lord to just really pour out understanding and wisdom because this book is really about our understanding of our identity in God. And so it is essential for us to grasp the, the theolog- theological richness that this letter presents to us because it shows us who we are in Christ. And what it does also is it shows us not only who we are in Christ, but it shows us what He's done. And when we look at that in the scope of um, the, the gospel message, we see the depth of God's love for us, which is enormous. It's, it's staggering. It's breathtaking. And so we're gonna, we're gonna dive into it. Let's first pray and we'll see how far we get today. So Father, we just thank you for the privilege of, of taking words that were inspired by you and helped pen by the Holy Spirit through Paul, not only to those at Ephesus, but also you saw us when you were inspiring these words because you knew they would bring life. You knew they would empower us. You knew they would strengthen us, that they would teach us, that they would instruct us. They would give us what we needed to connect with you and walk with you and live for you. There's grace on these words. There's strength in these words. As a result of this word, it's also it produces the gift of faith because we come into a place of understanding and application to live out these truths. And so we thank you, Father, that according to your word, that truth sets us free. It makes us free. And so we thank you, Father, for the freedom that comes. We thank you for the reality of who we are in you and... Um, and what you have done for us is an amazing, um, is an amazing reality of your deep and undying love for us. And so we're thankful, we're appreciative. Just pour out your wisdom and understanding to us. Help us to live out our true identity in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so I'm, I'm going to read. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation, just the text of of four through or three through fourteen, so that we can hear it. Just from a little bit different perspective, and then we're going to dive into the the New King James Version and look at it. And I want to just highlight some of these words that I've written up here um, so that we can see these are things that God has done for us, and they help shape who we are. Okay, So um, he says in verse 3 in the Passion Translation, Ephesians chapter 1, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful Heavenly Father the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because He sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate Him with all our hearts. And He chose us to be His very own, joining us to Himself even before He laid the foundation of the universe. And because of His great love, He ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in His eyes with an unstained innocence. For it always... For it was always in His perfect plan to adopt us as His delightful children through our union with Jesus. 
and the anointed one so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved ones, for his beloved one Jesus he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Since we now are joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins all because of the cascading riches of His grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the Anointed One, He unveiled His secret desires to us, the hidden mysteries of His long-range plan, which He was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as His own inheritance. Before we were even born, He gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to long for the messianic hope would be the first to believe in the anointed one and bring great praise and glory to God. And because of him, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And he is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's to come. He is our hope promise of a future inheritance which seals us until we have all redemptive promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. Just a beautiful language, the way the passion does it. You can see it tying in a lot of things that we already talked about. So we see here... Um, we talked about this briefly, but we saw in this passage, these terms here are laid out in, in this one sentence. Because remember, this is one sentence. I just read one sentence to you. It's a long sentence, but it was a big sentence. So in this, and we didn't really get to touch on this yes, uh, the last class, but so just I'm going to list these out for those that may be listening online, and then I'll dive into each one as we go along. So the first one that he, he talks to us about is we were chosen in Christ. So we were chosen in Christ. Now, just to, to highlight this concept here, Paul's going to build on this because in chapter 2, he's going to really talk about the how God had chosen Israel, how, how the Gentiles were separated from God, how they were aliens, how they, they didn't know about God, they were without God in the world, and that the Jews, they, were, they had knowledge of God, but they still needed what? They needed what Jesus came to offer. So salvation was not only for the Jew... It absolutely was, but it was for all those outside of the chosen. Okay, so let me build on this concept because the children of Israel were God's what? Chosen people. What were they chosen for? What were they chosen for? Okay, they were chosen that salvation would come through them. Okay, so God said, I'm going to choose a people, a people of my own. They're going to be a people that represent me. They're going to be an example to all the nations. And all the nations should see me through them. Right? So his purpose of choosing was not to say, 
I choose you and therefore don't choose anyone else. His purpose of choosing was that those that were chosen would glorify him. And you're going to see lines such as to the praise of his glory. You see that that line repeated three times in that one sentence that I just read. It's repeated three times and it's in reference to the Father, to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. To the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, and um, and so what? Why? Why were they chosen for the praise of His glory? Okay, so we have to understand this because if we if we take this election piece and don't understand it, we can we can think that what Paul is saying is some is elect are elect and some are not. Some are chosen for salvation and some are not. What what this passage is talking about is he is saying that God chose us to do what? To be in Christ. What's the will of the Lord? The will of the Lord is that all men would know God. That all men would come to salvation in Christ. How do we know that? Scripture declares that, right? So, to, to, we cannot go, we cannot have a theological perspective that goes contrary to the Scripture. What Scripture expressly, um, talks about and, and then have an innuendo in the passage and try to make it fit some other theological perspective. Okay, you following me? What was the purpose of him writing this about chosen? Because he was wanting those at Ephesus to understand that while the children of Israel were chosen for God's glory, for the praise of His glory, that now before... Now this is the predestination part. The second one is He chose us. And the second one is He's predestined us. So he's predestined us. What is he predestined? How did he predestine us? That means he's chosen us beforehand, right? Before the foundation of the world. That's what the scripture says here. To do what? Be in Christ. So he chose us in Christ. In Christ is how we have our freedom. In Christ is where we have our identity. In Christ is where our election comes from. Jesus was the chosen one. And when we believe in him, we become a part of the chosen. Are you following me? So this is really important. So God, it's not so much who is being chosen, it's by what means are they being chosen. There's a difference. And, and you know, we talked about the, the concept of, you know, in our in our world, you know, you being chosen on the ball team, the first person get chosen, the last person chosen, how that feels in the context of, well, maybe he didn't like me as much. Paul is trying to get rid of that in this passage. He's trying to remove the idea that the children of Israel were chosen and they're special, but you're not. He's removing the concept that now that that Israel has rejected the Messiah and now God has turned over to the Gentiles for them to know him, that they're like the second fiddle or second choice. But what he's showing to them very clearly in the text of this is that, no, you were loved before the foundation of the world and God in his infinite wisdom chose us in Christ. Now, He chose the children of Israel from whom the Messiah would come, but that is a part of how we get chosen, not who gets chosen. That's really, really important. And then when He goes into chapter 2, we're going to see the exact same thing. He talks about how that that we have been chosen, how they were chosen for a task for what? The praise of His glory. And He uses this phrase three times, okay? So the predestination part is we were chosen before we were destined to have our identity, what? In Christ, to be in union with Christ, to have our life in Christ, that our 
Everything that we are, everything that we do comes as a result of us being in Christ. So, so when I, when I come into the place of putting my faith in Christ, trusting Him, surrendering my life to come up underneath Him, to be in Him, then what happens? I began to walk out the plan that God had destined for me before the foundation of the world. What was that plan? That I would be in Christ. How was I chosen? In Christ. I was predestined in Christ. God had a plan for me in Christ. When I'm outside of Christ, what am I doing? I'm not walking according to what He destined humanity. He said that He came that all men might know Him. It would be God's desire that all men come into the place of salvation. Do they? Unfortunately, no. Why? Because not all people put their faith in Christ. Okay? So the, the third, so we have, he chose us in Christ, he predestined us in Christ, and he adopted us in Christ. It is through Christ that we have the adoption of the sons through the blood of Jesus that we become adopted into the family. Okay? So Jesus, Jesus is the, the son with all the inheritance, all the privileges, access to the father, and we see this in the, in the text of Ephesians, that he is Jesus' father and now he is our father. Okay? So we are adopted into the family and so we have, we have all the access that Christ has access to in heavenly realms, right? He said, through Christ, all spiritual blessings. Remember we talked about this last week? All spiritual blessings have been given to us who are united with Christ. Okay? So we are adopted in Christ. All grace has been given to us, what? In Christ. So it's in Christ that we have that, the grace of the Lord that comes upon us. Okay? And so then, so we see He chose us, He predestined us, He adopted us, He graced us, He redeemed us. He redeemed us. Now this is an important concept that we see here in this, in this sentence, is He redeemed us, but notice on the next line I've got, He forgave us. He redeemed us and He forgave us. Two separate lines. Because redemption means that He already paid the price. Forgiveness is something that takes place in the relational component of putting my trust in you, interacting with you, being in you. That's where the forgiveness comes. God forgives us and cleanses us. The redemption is there whether you accept it or not. He redeemed you. The redemption, the price was already paid for you whether you accept it or not. It takes you accepting it to be able to take advantage of all that that price paid for. It's kind of like you purchasing something on, um, I don't know, Target.com, you know, where they have the pickup thing where you can go to the, you can go, go out to the, in your car, park at a thing, and you say, hey, you know, I'm here, <laughs> or whatever you do. I don't know. My wife does it. I just obey her, you know. <laughs> She's the one who does it. And so I drive up, and then... Lo and behold, this person with a with a bullseye on their shirt runs out there with a cart. And I don't know what they have on there. It's whatever she bought. And when they come in there and say, is this all your stuff? I go, well, I don't know. And she shows me the receipt. And I go, I guess this is it. And she loaded up in the car. And so, but I have to actually, I have, they have to, she's, what she'll do is she'll forward me or message me that receipt. And I'll show them that receipt and they scan it. And they go, yep. And everything goes in the car. 
It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I never have to go in the store anymore. It is. It is. It's got to be part of heaven on earth. You know, it's, uh, it's part of the heavenly blessings that we have in Christ. I don't know. Somebody got a hold of something there. But, but if I never, if I never go to Target, I can never access what's been bought. If I never come to Christ, I can never access what He has redeemed for us. He's already done. That's why the Bible can say things like, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. It was already taking place in the heavenly realm. God had decided that He was going to do this. It had already been established. This is the means in which God would choose us, predestine us, adopt us, grace us. Was through this redemption piece, he was going to redeem, he was going to pay the price for us. Now there are, there are a couple words for this, but probably the most powerful example of redemption that we see here in Ephesians is the fact that what it costs to be redeemed, it cost him his blood. Literally the shedding of his blood, the giving of his life. It's interesting that for the Jew, when he was First announced, he was announced as the Passover lamb. Remember John on the Jordan River? What did he say to them? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not for the Jews, the world. This is what John announced. Behold, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was Jesus' first announcement in the crowd, so to speak, after after. All these things have been spoken over him for the last, you know, well, since the beginning of time, since the prophecy with Adam and Eve that there would be one that would come and crush the head of Satan. So all the prophecies are building up and everything we see in the Old Testament of, of signifying what the Messiah would be and the prophetic words of who the Messiah, what he would do and how he would do these things. All these things were being built up in this moment. And the first thing that comes out of the prophet's mouth, who is preparing the way for the Messiah to come is behold, Here's the lamb. And so for the Jewish mind, what was that? Passover, it was the sacrifice. The lamb, took, he, it took on what I deserved. And as a result, death passed over me. Instead, we had life. And not only did they have life, but then they walked out of that place. Pharaoh said, I let you go. They walked out not only perfectly whole, there was not a sick one or feeble one among them. Listen, the Old Testament is considered an inferior covenant to the New Testament covenant that we have in Christ. They walked out whole, but they also walked out with the wealth of the land. They completely, they completely sacked, if you will, the greatest power in the earth, the greatest kingdom in the earth at that time with an inferior covenant. Now that we have Christ, what are we called to do? We're called to do what? Represent Him, to be in Him for the praise of His glory. And this is really important for us to understand. We're here to bring praise and honor. So everything that takes place is for the purpose of bringing praise to the glory of His grace. So He redeems us. Our redemption is in Christ. He forgives us. Our forgiveness comes through the blood of Christ. And then we have... I've got these words over here that are highlighted throughout this text. So also in Christ we have wisdom. In Christ we have understanding. In Christ we have the knowledge of His will. 
In Christ we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And in Christ we have an inheritance. Okay, so that's a lot going on in that one sentence, isn't it? So we begin to see, whoa, wait a second. When Jesus, when He stepped on the planet, He was the fulfillment of all that was in God's heart. Before the creation of the world. He was the embodiment of the love of the Father for all of humanity. He was the representative of to reveal who the Father was in visible form. And so He came to demonstrate who God was, but He also came to bridge the gap between us and the Father and to make Him our Father. This was, this was a mission of intense, fiery love. This is a mission that Jesus has come to... Ch- so, so what is He doing? In His mission, He's coming so that we could be chosen, so we could be predestined to walk with Him, so we could be adopted, so we could be graced, so we could be redeemed, so we could be forgiven, so we could walk in wisdom, so we could have understanding, so we could have knowledge of His will, so we could be sealed by the Holy Spirit, and so that we could walk in our full inheritance of all spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly realm. So his first sentence, he hit, he knocked it out, didn't he? His first sentence, I mean, he knocked it out of this is who we have, this is who we are in Christ. I don't know about you, but the more you talk about it, it's like, whew. We realize what have we gained in Christ? We've gained everything. And what has God done as a result of the work of Christ he has made available access not only to have a intimate relationship with the Father, which is vital and is it is uh, it is the cream of the crop, if you will, of the the things that God has done. He's given us access to that heavenly realm to be face to face with the Father and with the Son. But the interaction between the Father and Son, in other words, the love, the engagement, the desire, the heart. The wisdom, the understanding, the, the union between Father and Son is revealed in the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now it talks about this here, and let's just look at it here in the New King James. I want to read it from here. It says in verse, um, 13, it says, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So there again, to the praise of His glory. That's really important. So, but look here, it says, it is the down payment. It's the guarantee. It's the down payment. The Passion Translation said it's like the wedding ring. <laughs> the engagement ring that says you're mine. Okay? So, so when reading this, we see here, um, not only in this passage, but de- as you go in deeper into the, this letter, into the Ephesians, that what the Holy Spirit is, He is an initial deposit with the guarantee of more to come. This is really, really important. This is really important. This is something that we can read through and we skip over. Some people, some people teach that the Holy Spirit seal is all you have and it's just there until 
you one day are in heaven until all those times are complete and all the authority comes under Jesus and you're finally set free of the power of sin in heaven one day. So it pushes off the promise of God and it pushes off what Jesus has paid for as something that is it's looking to the finality of it and not looking between here and there of the responsibility that we have of walking in Christ, walking in our true identity, so that we can continue to see all those spiritual blessings and heavenly realms poured out over us in the here and the now. In other words, you have to be very careful when reading Scripture, theological ideas that say you don't have to believe for what the Scriptures say we can have. That you you can believe in it for one day, but not for today. Faith is when? Now. now. Faith is for right now. It's to believe right now. Hope is for that future promise that this will come to pass. This is the victory that we have in Christ. This is what He has afforded us. And so we hope. And faith is the substance of that hope. It brings substance to that. It grabs a hold of that hope. It steps out in faith. It trusts Him. And it what apprehends that which has been promised. He's already told us that we have what? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we have this access. So we have to be very careful that in our resting in our identity, that we also are understanding that our identity also affords privileges, benefits, and access. Your identity affords you privileges, I forgot the second word I said. Benefits. Benefits and access. It escaped me that quick. And they all are the result of us being in Christ. In other words, if I'm not found in Christ, those things, I can't benefit in those things. It's, it's, this is kind of like having a joint account with somebody. And they, they're the one making all the money and putting all the deposits in the account. But you're given a card. <laughs> And unless you go and make the withdrawal, unless you go in there and actually do something with the account, then it doesn't matter what all he's put in there, it doesn't benefit you any. Now, this is where, this is where the, the prosperity gospel and some things can get off because then they make it all about you. Okay? About the you and the getting. It doesn't detract from the reality that there are spiritual truths that are being talked about in the prosperity gospel, except what they've done is the focus of it has been turned around to be on me instead of on God, instead of me being in Christ. Instead, what is the purpose of these, this, this access, these benefits, these privileges in Christ? What is the purpose of it? So that we, for the praise of His glory, would display the Father's heart seen in Christ, revealed through the love of the Holy Spirit, that we would demonstrate this reality so they too could come into the place of being chosen, adopted, graced, redeemed, and forgiven. In other words, we are now being chosen in Christ to do exactly what Israel was called to do, to be a demonstration to the nations of who the Father is. And so if our... Then this was the plan all along that for the praise of his glory, so that we would demonstrate who he is and the greatness of his grace. 
In other words, when we walk into the room, when, the, when people encounter the privilege and the benefits and the access that we have because we bring it with us, right? When you understand who you are in Christ and you walk into the room, you carry peace. You carry grace. You're a carrier of the anointing. You're a carrier of the presence of God. You're a carrier of all that Jesus paid for. And you're able to distribute that as you share the gospel, as you minister to people around you, as you're a blessing to them. As you simply understand who you are in Christ, you actually begin to attract those benefits that, and because you, you have access to that. And what happens? You bring glory to Him. If, if you recognize for the purpose in which it's been given. Right? We, Jesus, it's interesting that Jesus, um, kind of highlights the, in the, the prodigal son parable, he highlights two different extremes of privilege and access and benefits, doesn't he? He shows on one hand the son who's frivolous and it's all about him. He wastes it. He doesn't do it for the glory of his father. He doesn't do it for the benefit of his neighbors and the community and the nations. What does he do? He lavishes on himself for his own desires, his own lust, and he squanders what was given to him. And this is a picture. This is a picture of what Christ has done for us as the, and what the father has done in Christ. Okay. But then you have the other son who's faithful to the father, but he is not what? He does not demonstrate who the father's heart either. He judges his he judges his brother. He condemns him. He 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 doesn't he can't celebrate when someone who is lost comes back into the place of being found. His heart has become hardened through the labor, but he does not understand the access to his father. He doesn't understand his father's heart. He doesn't he doesn't share in the vision of his father. So therefore, he neither does he bring praise to the glory of grace, does he? And so in Ephesians, we see here that we've been given access to this because this is our identity in God. But unless we recognize for what purpose, then we can too squander our own inheritance in Christ. We can, we can do it all for all, our own selfish gain and for our own pleasure. And what do we do? We end up staining the work of God in our own lives. Now, we don't have the capacity to stain God. He's bigger than us, right? But we can stain the purposes for which He's called us. And this is really important for us to grasp. And this is why we must stay in a place of humility and submission to being in Christ. Being in Christ requires what? A yieldedness to the Lord. To put our trust in Him and to allow Him to be the one who guides and leads our lives. He's the one according to the next part of these verses, that gives us wisdom. What is wisdom? We talked about this briefly. It's where he peels back and shows us how things operate in heaven and how they should be operating here. So wisdom is a form of revelation. Okay, It's a revealing. It's the pulling the curtain back, if you will. So now you can see, how do I need to live so that I bring praise for the glory of His great grace. How do, I, how do I live so that I am fulfilling my role of being in Christ and fulfilling my place of identity of who I really am? How do I do this? 
Isn't that the question that we always ask? I mean, every day it seems like we come across things and we're saying, Lord, what do I do here? And what are you doing? In that place, you are pressing into Christ for Him to expose to you wisdom. How do you do this? And when I see that, then He grants to us understanding. Understanding is the practical application of how do I take what I see in heaven and apply it here in the earth? This is the, this is part of our benefits that we have in Christ, part of our identity that we have access to the Father and to the Son through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So He can show us what it looks like in heaven, how it's to be displayed in the earth, the practical application of how I live this out. And then He gives us the knowledge of His will in the midst of it. So not only do I see what's taking place, how I should be doing it, but I understand the why behind it, the purpose in which I do these things. I don't know about you, but when you when you comprehend just those three things, it, it positions you as a powerful individual to not only obey the things that the Lord has because He gives you the grace to do it, but you now you're able to walk in a place of understanding, wisdom, application, and there is a confidence that comes when I know the will of the Lord. That's why later on in Ephesians it says, Be not drunk with wine, but be what? Continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does he say it that way there in, in, in the next part of Ephesians? Because at the beginning he says, When you first believe, you got sealed by the Holy Spirit. It was a deposit with the promise of more to come. So what happens? So, it, so just because I received Christ does not mean that I quit pursuing Christ. Just because the Holy Spirit sealed me does not mean I can I quit pursuing the Holy Spirit. What are we to do? We're to continue to press into Christ. We're to continue to press into the Holy Spirit and and what receive more of Him. Now this this begs the question: When we receive Christ, did we receive part of Him? No. No. When you received the Holy Spirit, did you receive just a portion of Him? No. He was all there. But our, our limited understanding, our um, intimate knowledge of who Christ is and of who the Holy Spirit is and who the Father is, we have to grow in that. It's not that He presents, He has to give us more and more of Him until finally, one day, finally we got all of Him. Like, whew, He gave me a part this week, I got another part this week. That's not what the Scripture is talking about at all. It's talking about that just like in a marriage... When you first get married, you may know this person, but it takes the years of experience of being intimate with the person, living with the person, talking with the person, sharing things with the person, until you, until now you know them 50 years later different than you know them the first day. And this is, this is part of the privilege that we have that not only are, did Jesus come and redeem us, but he brought us into the family so that we could have this intimate relationship with the Lord. And this is part of the joy of our salvation. It's a part of the joy of our salvation. Of Every day we get to wake up and engage with Him at an intimate level and understand His ways, understand His thoughts, understand His purposes, His will. And He's with us to, and He wants us to participate with Him. 
You know, it's one thing if you were married and the person said, hey, go do this and I'm going to go do this. And you never actually did anything together. What, what God is saying is I wanted sons that would walk with me. I wanted daughters that would walk with me, that would know me intimately and live out their lives in this vital union with me and them. Always go back to John 17, Jesus' prayer, where he said that I, I wish that they would be one just as I am one. That was, again, what was he doing? He was showing us the knowledge of his will. He was revealing in his prayer, this is part of the purpose, that we would be one just as him and the Father were one. He longed for us to be one together in purpose. And how do we, how do we, a diverse people with different giftings, with different personalities, with different uh, perspectives, with different life experience, how are we all one when we're so diverse and different? Because we have this one common denominator, it's the Lord. We're all in Christ. And while we have different gifts, and he's going to talk about that in Ephesians, because he's going to cover all these these ideas of how to living out this truth in our true identity, we, we see, just, I mean, telling you, this, this book right here is a beautiful demonstration of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it gives so much understanding. All right. So that was our introduction of what we talked about last week. <laughs> Back over. All right, just that was just a quick. <laughs> so you can sense the heaviness. That was his first sentence. So now we're going to dive into the second sentence. Okay, I'm going to read this one out of the New Living Translation, and then I'll read, I'll touch back on it in uh, the New King James, and just kind of dive through this and just kind of work our way through it. I don't, I don't know how far we'll get. Hopefully, we'll get through the second sentence, but let's see. So, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. So he he heard two things. He heard that they had a vertical relationship with the Lord. And they had a horizontal response with people. Okay. Their faith in Christ produced a love for people. This This is really, really important. This is, this is something that we know that where we've received wisdom and understanding. We not only have seen what God's desire and plan is, but we're able to practical application. It's, it's hard. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it is hard to engage with the work of the Holy Spirit who is, who sheds abroad in our heart the love of God, which is beyond our understanding. It has to be experienced. It's hard to engage in that. And walk out of that place of communion with the Father and with the Son, understanding who I am in Him. Because when you when you get bathed in that, you know what happens? Insecurities begin to wash away. Fears begin to wash away. The things that, that will hinder us from truly loving people begin to wash away. It removes the barriers of past hurts. It removes the things that we have struggled with in our past. When you're surrounded and embraced by that type of love, it begins to forfeit the hold that the enemy has had over us through the depravity of sin. Because now we're coming into the beloved, into the accepted, into those that belong, into those that have been chosen, into those that have been adopted, into those that have been redeemed, those who have been graced. And so when we have that relationship with the Lord, the practical application should be our love for people should increase. 
When we've, if our faith in God is growing, our love for people should as well. So he says here, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you and pray for you constantly. So he stopped. In other words, he was recognizing they've got they, their strong faith in God is producing a love for people. He began to thank God. Thank God. They're coming. They are in Christ. They're walking in their identity. They're beginning to live out the purpose in which they have been called is what? For the praise of the glory of his great grace. They are demonstrating it because what is the demonstration of this grace? What is the um, what is the expression of that grace? It is it is a love that gives of itself for another, and that's where that's where and that's where a lot of times where where the prosperity gospel has gone so wrong, and that it was about all about me. When when I walk in that place of great grace, it produces in me a humility that recognizes if it wasn't for God, I would have nothing. But at the same time, because of God, I now have everything. And it's that humility of recognition that it's not because of me, it's because of Him, that I then go out and do what? Long for others to know Him. And so I demonstrate who He is. And I become a vessel in which that same grace that's been poured over me gets poured over them. How is that expressed? Well, how did Jesus express it? He said, Greater love hath no man than he that lays down his life for his friends. And so, grace is expressed by a love that gives of itself. So as your faith in God grows, your love for people should grow as well. Alright, so he was thankful. This is what's taking place. And he says, I'm praying constantly, asking God the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, we've already talked about this wisdom piece because he's already referred to this up above. And we've talked about this idea of understanding or insight. But he says that you would know who God is up there and you know how to walk those things out. He said, I pray that... So for what purpose, though? What's the purpose of seeing into the heavenly realm and understanding how to live those things out, what's the purpose of it? The purpose of it is so that you can have a deeper, intimate relationship with God. So this word knowledge is not the knowledge like we have knowledge of gathering facts and writing on a piece of paper. This type of knowledge is the intimate knowledge that produces a union and causes multiplication. And this is really important because this is Paul's prayer. This is the introduction of his prayer, and this is what he's praying over them. And, and this is what he's praying over us. So this type of knowledge is an intimate knowledge that produces this vital union with God that brings about multiplication. Just like in a marriage covenant, the union of intimacy should produce offspring in a, in a healthy body. God is wanting to take you and walk with you and live in you and you in Him. That's that one, that union, that vital union, that oneness. And as we become more and more intimate with Him, we grow in this relational communion with the Lord. What happens? As my faith in Christ is growing, my love for people expands. What should happen? The multiplication in the kingdom. 
More people should come to know the Lord. More people should come to want that relationship that we have. In fact, Paul even goes as far as talking about in another, in another passage about the fact that when the fullness of Gentiles comes, it would create a jealousy. They would long to have the relationship that we have with the Christ for themselves. And that's when Israel will come to that place of giving themselves to the Messiah. So we're, we're working a dual purpose that all the Gentiles would know and that Israel would come back to the Lord. Why? Because he initially had chosen them, right? To be the demonstration for the salvation of man to come through the Jewish people. And that was Christ. And now on this side of the cross, the blood of Jesus has redeemed all of us to be in the chosen. God before eternity passed, decided it was in that place, that means of being in Christ, through Christ, that we would all would come into a place of union. And he goes deeper to that in chapter 2. All right, so he says, as he continues to pray, I pray that your, in verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. So this is the passage I was talking about earlier, last class, when I talked about that one verse that was kind of, it could be read either direction. This one actually says that we are His inheritance. Okay? The, the first part saying that He is our inheritance, that we, we have an inheritance from Him. This verse actually says that we are His inheritance. So this is a, this is a union of mutual expression. In other words, God so valued us that He gave what was most precious in His sight and He esteemed us in the same way that He esteemed Jesus. So let that just sink in for just a moment. In other words, God loved us so much that His love for His own Son, you know how great that love was between Him and His own Son, that He wanted more sons, that's how much. That he was willing to sacrifice his own son for us. So, we have here that we have, if you're, if you're willing to trade this thing for that, what's more valuable? The thing you're getting. So, what God did through Jesus was he was saying that he valued us beyond anything else in heaven. This was not a devaluing of Christ because we see <laughs> the love that He has for Christ. He's bringing us into that union. You follow what I'm saying? This is, this is a depth of understanding that if God loved us so much, and this is what it talks about in Romans, that He gave the most precious gift in heaven, what good thing would He withhold from us? That ties in with what he said here at the very beginning of the passage. That blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. You know, when you hear the gospel and you begin to read passages such as this, the lies of the enemy have a really hard time sticking to you when you start fully grasping the price that was paid for us, when we begin to see what Jesus endured as a human being 
fully human yet fully God, on our behalf, and what the Father allowed to take place in His Son for us, so that we could be redeemed and forgiven and graced and adopted and chosen in the Lord. When you, when you, when you begin to see that, that's why Hebrews says, you know, if someone tramples over the blood of Jesus, there is no other way. God had, God went through an extreme measure. Now, creation was not too hard. The Bible says he breathed out the stars through the nostrils. The words of his command formed the, the universe. He could measure the universe, which is ever expanding at the speed of light in all directions with the, the, the spance of his hand. He made it all and said it was good. And the only little hiccup there was when man was alone. He said, oh, we'll fix that too. And then it was good too. Happened. And yet, from that point on, the entire work of the Lord was set on the story of redemption. God created knowing that men would fail and sin would enter in, but He still did it. And He's built our entire history on the history of redemption. From the very beginning of the fall, what did He bring as a word to Adam and Eve? A redemptive promise. While Satan would bite the heel the one would crush the head of Satan. And throughout history, we see the redemptive story building throughout humanity and climaxing in Christ. Now, on this side of the cross, we have the redemptive story already told, and all we have to do is dive into the pages. We become a part of His story. And so our calling is to bring glory and praise for His great great grace. We're called to reveal the redemptive nature of His story. History is speaking that, and we're called to reflect it. Not only in our testimony, not only in our declaring the gospel, not only in our sharing with others, but through the way that we live and through the way that we love one another and walk with God. This is impossible, though, outside of Christ. It's impossible if we are not drawing near to the Lord every day. It's impossible if we do not keep a heart of humility and operate in faith and live out that faith through the operation of love. It becomes impossible. Yet, He's given us His grace to do that. And yet when we fail, according to John chapter 1, 1 John, he says what? He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so even in the midst of us growing in the Lord, the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to redeem every area of our life. Both when we were an alien and an enemy of Christ, but also as being one in Christ, in union, in fellowship, a son, a daughter, walking with Him, how much more so does that blood continue to impact us today? But what do we have to do? We have to access what Christ paid for through faith.
We could sit there with that card all day long and Jesus deposited all this stuff in the bank. And unless we use that card to draw out what's been given to us, then what are we doing? We're sitting back passively saying, I believe God did this, but our faith is not producing any works. And so we, we're going to see later on in, in, in Ephesians 2 how we were created for good works, that, that we should walk in them. And the only way we can walk in them is through faith. And so let's jump back into the prayer. So he's prayed that we will have wisdom, that we will have insight. So what will grow? Our intimate knowledge of the Lord, our vital union with Him would increase and grow. Then he goes on to say in verse um, 18, this is the way the New King James says it, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So that that's what we were talking about here. These are part of the riches of His glory in the saints. There's so much more that we're going to talk about throughout Ephesians. There's a whole lot more we're going to talk about. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. Okay, So we have access to all these things. So He's saying that the eyes of your heart would be opened to the riches of His glory. What's the glory? It's the weightiness of all that God is. That we would, that we would understand, that our eyes would be opened. When He talks about the eyes of your heart, He's talking about the place, the seat where faith resides. So how does faith operate? It's simple. When the human heart or the spirit of man receives the word of God and says yes to that word, that word presses into our spirit and the response of our spirit to the word of God is faith. You following me? So what is he praying here? He's praying that the eyes of their understanding, because the Bible says Why do the people not believe? Because their eyes have been darkened by the God of this world, talking about Satan, and they can't see the truth that's in front of them. And so he's praying the opposite prayer, that the eyes of our heart, those that are in Christ, would be opened so that what? When we hear the words of the Lord, that our spirit is able to receive it. How do we receive the word of the Lord? Through humility, through putting our trust in it, putting our confidence in it. And are the response of our heart that responds is that word has been grafted into our being is yes, Lord. It's obedience. It's praise. It's honoring of Him. It's stepping out to do whatever that word of faith is declaring that we can have. It's, it's accessing whatever it says we can access. It's drawing on the benefits that it says that we can have. It's pursuing the promises it declares we can have. So you see this activity. When the word of the Lord comes into our heart, it should produce a flurry of activity in our hearts, if we're seeing. But if we're dull of sight, dull of vision in our hearts, what will it happen? We will see it, but not recognize it for what it is, and it will just continually walk by. The passage that, that, I, that it reminds me of is the, the scripture where it talks about they were on the boat in the storm, and at afar they saw something and they thought it was a ghost. In other words, they didn't recognize it as Jesus. And it says, and he would have passed them by had they not cried out to him. It's a perfect demonstration of exactly what we're talking about here tonight, is that they had to respond to what they were seeing. They were seeing something, and they knew it was spiritual. Why? Because they said, oh, it's a ghost. 
They knew it was spiritual what they were seeing. There are times where word will come to you and you know that is spiritual truth. It may not be, it may not be chapter and verse, but you can hear the, you can hear the, the ring of heaven in it. You could be walking around and you may not have a verse specifically come up, but it's something maybe that you've heard and the Holy Spirit draws it back up and He says something to you. You can hear, the, and it's important that when we see it, that we respond to it, that we gravitate towards it, that we call out to it, that, and in Peter's words, bid me permission to come. You know, you had other guys in the boat, they never ask. And therefore they never experienced and walked in that place of privilege. What is God asking of us? He's saying to us in this verse that the eyes are understanding so that we could do what? So we would understand the hope of His calling. What is this hope? It is the victory that Jesus has already won. This hope is talking about the victory that's already won. This hope of His calling. And what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? Now notice this. Here's a different language. Up until this point, He's been talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Now He's talking about that He longs for us, our eyes of our heart, to understand what's now been put in us because we've been in Him. Here's that the, where the benefits, the privileges, the rights... The access that we have now in Christ. So this is his prayer. It's unfolding. So the next thing he says, he says in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in Heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So I'm going to see if I can erase this real quick and lay out what this is that he is praying for us to walk in. Because this is a little bit more than what we just simply read. Okay, just to just to highlight it, let me read it out of the New Living Translation. The same passages here in verse nineteen, he said, "I also pray." So he was praying about that. That first of all, the first place was what that we come to wisdom, insight, understanding, to know Him, to have this intimate relationship with Him. The eyes of our heart would be open, so that what we could walk with Him and understand that what's been placed in us through this vital union, through this place of intimacy, what's been put in us, just like for for a a husband and wife, and in the, in the, when a, when the intimacy part of covenant action takes place. The sperm that's placed in the woman, it produces something in her that grows until a new life forms. And so this is the same type of idea that's taking place. And so then, then he prays. So now that's the first part of the prayer. The second part of the prayer, and I also pray that well, you will understand, and this is in the New Living Translation, understand the incredible greatness of God's power. This power, this is, this is, not, you know, the dunamis power we talk about is the explosive we get the word dynamite from. 
Okay, but in, in scripture, this type of power is not exploding to destroy. It's exploding to build. It's, it's, it's so powerful that it's, it's the creative boom, if you will, of heaven. This is where scientists get the Big Bang Theory. They said there was nothing, and then all of a sudden something so intense, so hot, so this is why this is why this is why they describe the Big Bang something so hot, so intense that particles are literally formed and explodes, and something comes out of nothing. He said creation. <laughs> That's what it was. God spoke. What was in Him came out, and the elements respond. Now we know this is true because. Because the, Jesus even said, listen, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Literally all of creation is vibrating at the resonant sound of the, the power of his command. Colossians declares that what everything is being held together by the power of his command. So our entire beings, whether we are of God or not, whether we're in Christ or not, is literally being held together. All of creation is being held together by the power of his command. This is that dunamis power that he's talking about. This, he says, I also pray, so this is the second part of the prayer, that you would understand. Understand is talking about the practical application. In other words, that you would have the practical application of the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. So there, there's, there's one measure of this power being at work. It is... See how he said it? It says it's for us. Why? Because of belief in Him. So this power is for us who what? Who believe in Him. And in Him is the key, the key passage, the key part. Our belief is what? In Him. It's not in our own, it is not, the belief is not in us. The belief is not that, oh, I'm so special, I'm so powerful, I'm so understanding. No, the belief is in Him. In Him I have this power that was representative in creation. But not only that, it says, this is the same, he describes it, that this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor. So two things this power did. The first thing it did was it, it raised Christ from the dead. It destroyed, it destroyed death. It destroyed the natural consequences of sin. When did death enter into the world? It did not enter into the world until sin entered into the world. When that, he said, the moment you eat of this, you shall surely die. So Jesus, remember, he's coming in to redeem all things and bring it under subjection under who he is. This is the power that is for us that believe in Him. It is to raise us up out of the power of sin and death. That same power that raised Jesus up is at work in us. It's working in us. This is what we, this is what Paul's praying that we would understand. We would have the practical application of what this power is doing for us. It is in the same way that it raised Jesus up out of death. It is raising us up out of death. And so we died with Him in baptism. And when we came out, we were raised up in Christ. That same power is at work for those that believe in Him. And it is working in us and through us. 
The second thing, there's actually three things, but the second thing is that it raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand. So it, it, this, this raising breaks off. See, our old identity. You just have to read the scribble scrabble there. Okay. This, this, this first part of the power is the power of God to break off the old identity. The second one is to bring about the new identity that we have in Christ seated in heavenly places. He wants us to understand what this power is doing in us. It is breaking off this old identity that sin has formed in us, that death has been working in us. It is breaking off that old taskmaster of sin that's been driving us to the place of separation and desperation. This power is working for those who believe in Him and it's raising us out of this old identity. It's dragging us out. And it's not dragging us out barely by the the skin of our teeth. It has broken its power completely and totally and it is bringing us not just to a place that I'm free from this, but it's setting me free for a purpose that I may walk in the identity that we have in Christ. And so it says, and it not only, this is the example. He's trying to describe what this power is doing in us. He said, it's the same as when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was what? Seated in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now we know that this is true for us too because we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms, right? This is part of our identity of who we are. And he says, now he, excuse me, now he is far above. So he's going to describe what this seating looks like. What does this identity look like? This next part of the passage is literally going to describe our position in Christ. He's going to describe, first of all, what Christ's position is. And then we can see what our position is. If we want to know our identity, we have to look to Jesus. Okay. So he says here, he says, Now he, talking about Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So where is his power? Is it limited at? It's not. So he gets in the world to come, in the world above, in the world beneath, in the world present, above every ruler, every authority, every principality, over every power. He has been seated above these things with authority and power. Okay? So this power has the ability to break off and bring about. This power has the, 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 posi- the place of positioning and authority. Okay? It gives us both the power to break out, to be set free, to st- and then to step in. To a position and authority. This is what he's wanting us to understand. The power that's available to us in Christ. So he goes on to say. In verse 22. Here's the third place of what he's done. He says. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And has made him the head over all things. For the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, and it is made full and complete 
by Christ who fills all things everywhere with Himself. Now, let me read it to you out of the, the New King James Version. So you can see how the translators wrestled with these differently. He says in verse um, 22, it says, And He put all things under His feet. I just like that, under His feet. And gave Him to be head over all things to the church. So in other words, Jesus being seated in heavenly realms, He was also positioned with authority there, but He was also given a position as head of the body. A body that we, when we are found in Christ, become a part of. So this power not only raises us out of our sin into our new identity, it breaks the power of death, it seats us in heavenly places with Jesus, but it also brings us into this union as Him as our leader. And notice what it says next. It says, to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who feels all in all. The, the translators struggle with this passage. In the, in the New Living Translation, it says this. It says that it is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with Himself. Now, if you, if you go into it, any deep, deep study in the Scriptures, you find this concept that part of us bringing praise to the glory of His great grace is the occupation, if you will, and I'm not talking about occupation like employment, I'm talking about occupation like inhabiting, where we begin to fill all the gaps with the kingdom of the Lord. Part of the role of us being seated in heavenly places that we see confirmed later on in the Scriptures is that that position positions us to enforce that power that breaks people out of sin as an intercessor to stand in the gap. As we grow in that place of intimate union with Christ as the head of the body, the Bible says that He feels, and this talks about later on in Ephesians, how that it feels every joint and marrow, it supplies it through our love for one another. Okay, Where does that love come from? The Holy Spirit. How do we grow in that love? Through our intimate relationship with the Lord. In other words, our identity in Christ is the key for us living free of that old Adamic nature, seating in heavenly places and walking in a power that Jesus has with authority over all things and the ability to follow our head and His mission to fill all things. In other words, for His kingdom to conquer all kingdoms, to invade every place to minister to every life, we're to follow our head. So this is what this power is doing in us that believe. That's a lot, isn't it? So this mighty expression of God's authority and power demonstrated in Christ, in the resurrection, and in the ascension, it's both a symbol of what God will do in us. It's a reality of what God did, but it's also a promise of what God will do in us who allow the first part of the prayer to take place. Our hearts to be enlightened to see. We cannot walk in what Christ has given us if we do not apprehend what Christ has given us. And the only way that we do that is through faith. Putting our trust and reliance and dependence on Him.
Yes. Uh, in 20 it says, uh, which worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, what is the significance of the right hand? Right hand is a symbol of power. He could have just said the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. But so so in, 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 in the culture and in the understanding, right means, that means the place of authority and power. So when, when, as a ruler, well, you would hold the place of, of authority in your right hand. Because usually people are right hand dominant, okay? So your right hand would be a symbol of your power. So when, when you would give your authority and power to another, you'd pass it down to your right hand. So that's where we get the terminology of your right hand man. In other words, that's the person closest to you that could walk in the same thing you have. So, so what, it, Jesus sat there and he came, and God, and we see this in Colossians as well, God exalted him. Above all things that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that everything comes underneath the authority of Christ. And that's what it's saying here in Ephesians too. And so basically what it's saying is all the power that resides in the Father has been given to the Son. And because it's been given to the Son and we are in the Son, we have access to that power. And what he's praying is that they would come into the understanding that their hearts would be enlightened to this reality that we can walk but the condition is believing in Him. It's the continual place of trust in the Lord. Because uh, God can give you power. The disciples were learning that, right? God's given us power. They go into a city, and the people reject Him, and they go, let's call fire from heaven. They, they recognize they have power. Jesus did not rebuke them and say, son, you're theologically incorrect. You don't have the power to do that. He said, you know what spirit you're of. Now, they could see where God threw fire down from heaven on, on cities, couldn't they? Scripturally, they could see where God had demonstrated that. But when they said that, they actually believed it. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely believed it. And He rebuked them for it. Because they were operating from the wrong spirit. But see, this is where this is where this is essential here in our breakdown. It raised Christ from the dead, seated Him in heavenly place, positioned Him as the head of the body. In order for us to flow in this power, we've got to submit to the head too. And the way that we submit to the head is to apprehend the heart. We cannot submit to the head of Christ without apprehending the heart of the Lord. And this is what Paul is going after. He's wanting them to walk in this place of intimate knowledge of the Lord so they can walk in the power that God's given them and be able to demonstrate that power according to wisdom, understanding, and the knowledge of His will so that we could bring praise to the glory of His great grace. So we would bring honor to Him. So others could see that the eyes of their heart could, be under, could come into a place of understanding and know Him as Lord. This is the privilege of this great power that we've been given to bring people into a place to see God, to know God, to encounter His goodness. So when we go and share the gospel, when we go and share the word of the Lord, as we demonstrate His kingdom through acts of love and expressions of His grace, we need to understand the power that is available to us because if we think we don't have any power, then we can enter into a place 
and we can misrepresent the Lord in our sharing of the gospel. We can actually bow to the principalities and powers and authorities that are both in the air, the God of this age, to the lies that the enemy is declaring. We can succumb and be influenced by them instead of us influencing them if we do not understand our identity in Christ. This is why this is so important. Because as we know who we are in Christ, we are then given the privilege and the responsibility to go out and to demonstrate who He is because it's not something that we have to conjure up. It's who we are because we're in Christ. It's not a power we have to work up. We don't have to sing five songs and and get everything stirred up in the Spirit for God's power to move, so to speak. I mean, it's great when that happens. I mean, as we any place that you honor God, any place that you begin to declare the Word of the Lord, there it, it, it stirs it stirs the things in people's hearts and minds to want to apprehend what God says we can have. I mean, that's why oftentimes in worship we sense the presence of the Lord differently than we may do in our in our individual settings because now we are on purpose pursuing, activating, going after this place of intimacy with the Lord. Now, God would have it that we do that all the time. That we don't have to have the music just right. That we don't have to have you know, other people praying in order for us to... That we could enter into a, a, an environment where nobody's praying, yet we understand who we are. And so therefore, there's no disconnect with the power, the privileges, the access that we have in Christ. You know, when you're thinking, as you're saying that, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, pastors talk in all our lives, we've heard people talk about um, living in holiness and living mm-hmm. in purity. And to do those, it's so easy to live like that it's so easy to see how television and music and worldly influence can so easily distract us and keep Correct. us from that all the time. That's right. Because it's sharing a different so message. Don't have any power. It's doing a diff- it's sharing a different message that's corrupting our vision. Because because there's a different purpose in which it's being de- de- it's being declared. And so that's where that's why he's saying here that we we need we need to be in Christ in union with Christ that the eyes of our understanding would be open that we would be able to know this exceedingly great power that's available to us and and for what purpose and that's the question that continually comes up as i read this passage for what purpose why did god do all this for us and the simple answer comes so we could walk with him he did all this so we could walk with him why, did, why would he give us all this power that Paul says that we have access to? So we could walk with him. But, but there is a, a power being, or a strength, when you are connected to the body. Yes, absolutely. As opposed to just being Christian solo. That's right. You might have a wonderful yeah. relationship with the Lord, but the head of the body, like mm-hmm. when Christ was on the earth and he said, I have no place to lay my head. He also was waiting almost for the ascension mm-hmm. when this perfect, when this strong church and the, and the body, the, the resurrected yes. body of knowledge that comes after the cross. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's exactly what the book of Ephesians is talking about. Yeah. So in chapter 2, we're going to dive into next week 
about that. He's saying that the body doesn't look like just the chosen Jewish people or just these that now acknowledge God in the Gentile world. It's all coming underneath one body. And then chapter three is we begin, he has this prayer again that we would understand this deep love that God has for us. He's calling for union. He's calling for this place. And then chapter four, he begins to talk about how the body is assembled, how it functions, how it works, how it has its being, how it demonstrates as a whole, how we demonstrate who Christ is. And they demonstrate our identity. And so you're exactly right. That's exactly what he's pointing to. He's pointing to this need, not only for us to be in Christ, but in order to walk in Christ, we also need one another who are walking in Christ because we have our, we, we feed and encourage and strengthen one another and we draw strength and life from that place because each one of us has been granted gifts, been have, carried deposits of his grace. And so as we interact with one another, encourage one another, fellowship one with another and with the Lord, what happens? The level of understanding and wisdom and the knowledge of His will, the great grace that He carries, the redemptive work, forgiveness, all those things begin to work in and through us and we grow in that place of who we are in God. Mm -hmm. You can't help but think of a plant, of a branch, of the life of the branches and the trunk of like a tree and how the life flows through it. It can't live on its own individually. That's right. It, but the sap flows through it all, right. through the vine and the branch. But you know when you were saying like we don't think that we need to praise and worship or but when the church does come together it is sort of like oil in the wheel. Oh absolutely. So that moment yeah. when we are in the worship and we are collectively doing it together Absolutely, and, and let me clar- let me clarify what I let me clarify what I said. I'm, I'm saying not to discourage that. What I'm saying is, I'm, I was saying that if if that is all that takes place, then we will be lacking over here in our individual walk. And so what what we should get like that is the place where we get more than what we usually get, so to speak, and that should be the springboard, not the highlight. In other words, that shouldn't be the highlight of our Christian experience during the day. That should be the springboard for us to grow in Christ throughout the remain, throughout the rest of the day. You know, follow what I'm saying? That it should, it, and so then we, until we gather again, then instead of us having that to recharge us because we lost it on the way, we should be built up in our most holy faith in a greater dimension. So then the next time we gather, it goes to another level because as we have spent time with God individually and come back together, collectively in fellowship with one another in the Lord, then we should it should grow to a different place. And the this is how revival takes place in the earth is it keeps us humble. Yes. Because it's that it's that checks and balances, you know, that um, those in authority over us, when they see something that needs to be corrected, it happens in the loving atmosphere of the body uh-huh. and the church. Yep. You're talking about that, that springboard and growing. It's like growing from glory to glory. That's exactly it. That's it. In the presence of the Lord. That's it. All right, so let me, I'm going to pray over this, kind of seal these things in our heart, and then we're going to open it up for more discussion because I want to throw us a couple ideas out, okay? So, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank the richness of even this prayer. And, God, we do. We pray this over us right here, right now, and even those that may be listening online. We pray, Father, that that you are our Lord and our Father, and that we would know the wisdom and the revelation of who you are, that it would bring us to a place of deep 
intimacy with you. Our prayer is, Father, that we would not sit back looking longingly at a, at a family through a window and wish that we could be apart, but, Father, that we would recognize that the door has been opened through Christ. Not only can we walk in, but we are a part of that family, dearly loved, dearly valued, and we have a place at the table with the Lord. I pray, Father, that as we are recognizing that reality, that every one of us, that the eyes of our heart and our understanding would be enlightened, that it would be opened, that we would know the great victory that you established and that we have in the calling in Christ Jesus. That we would recognize that this hope is like an anchor to our soul. It keeps us on course and that it is for the purpose of your glory and your honor that we walk in the inheritance that all the saints have been given through Christ. I pray that this exceeding great and magnificent power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead and has seated Him in heavenly places above all authority and all over all power and over all leaders, both in the earth and under the earth and, and, and beyond the earth, we thank You, Father, that that power is at work in us. You didn't leave us helpless, but You sent the Holy Spirit to abide with us and in us. And with that came a great place of power, power over sin, power over death, power to sit in heavenly places with you, and power to submit to the head of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer, Father, is that as your true sons and daughters, that we would humbly walk before you, allowing you to grow our faith as we continue to receive your word with joy, and may it produce the expressions of grace that cause an overflow of your great love for not only those that are in the body, but also those who are in the world, that we too, like them, were lost and undone without you, but because of you and your sacrifice and your great love, we're now redeemed, we're now forgiven, we're now adopted, we're now chosen, we're now part of your family. And so, Father, I thank you for sealing this identity. Thank you for washing away every lie of the enemy and every old mindset that's attached to what the enemy has said we are. And instead, let us stand in confidence and trust and in faith that what you have done, what you have done through the cross and through your blood to make us sons and daughters is more than sufficient to destroy every work of darkness and to lead us into victory. So we thank you for that. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.